Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and we'll get started there in a little bit. Um, thank you to my wife for doing worship this morning and kind of letting me be free to do that. Um, I have an incredible wife. Yes, you do. I do. I know some of you, <laughs> I got some good amens on that. Wow. That was a little more than I expected. <laughs> but I mean, that sounded so bad, didn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm, when, you, when you're digging a ditch, you just, you just get out, right? <laughs> but thank you very much. Uh, I know a lot of you guys uh, feel that your wives are incredible too, but I get this morning to say it up here, and Brownie points to me, right? <laughs> but turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Let's stand together and read the word. We're going to start in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. Now jump down to verse 35 with me. While he was still speaking, and this was right after he, the, the woman um, who came up for healing, right, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brothers of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered the house, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kalum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is life and breath inside of us. God, your word that comes alive and it speaks to us. It takes us, God, to a deeper place in you. And I pray this morning, let your word come alive. Let your spirit speak to us. Open our ears that we may hear what you have to say. And God, I ask for your anointing in this moment, God, that you would speak. God, it wouldn't be my words that come across, but your words in the hearts of people, your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I'm going to do a little recap to bring you up. I've been kind of preaching through the book of Mark, and so... Um, there's some gaps in when I get to stand up here because we have a, um, Pastor John does an amazing job, but he sometimes lets me give him a break and I, I enjoy it. But in Mark chapter four, Mark begins to introduce us to parables. And so as Mark is teaching, he, he tells us about parables. He starts off with the parable of the sower. You remember this one, right? Where the farmer goes out and he sows seeds. Then Mark takes us into the purpose of parables. This is why 
Jesus taught in parables, so that you may know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And then he goes into this lamp. The, the gospel's a lamp. You see, he's not hiding something, but God is making something evident and known. And then he goes on to a parable of a seed. The word of God goes forth and does exactly what it's supposed to do. And then he talks about the mustard seed. How that the gospel, the kingdom of God, starts small, but it grows big. And as he ends chapter 4, Mark begins to take this transition. He goes from this teaching of the parables to this example of the parables. And then we see that chapter 4 ends with Jesus calming the storm. You see, the gospel is a demonstration of power. It's of power over nature, demons, sickness, and death. And he begins to tell us about this kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is where Jesus is the central figure, where he rules and reigns, and where he displays his authority. And so Mark has been teaching all these things, and he's been leading us up to, I think, a point. And this, I believe, begins to culminate this topic in the fifth chapter of Mark, and he ends it. But here we see in the story of the storm, Jesus calming the storm. Is Jesus Lord of creation? Yes. I mean, we read that story, and that's the question we're supposed to ask. Is Jesus Lord of the creation? But I think there's a deeper teaching that Mark wants us to grab in the midst of this. And it's not just that Jesus is Lord of creation, but that Jesus has a creation work plan for you. And that he speaks over the chaos of your life, peace. And then he takes us to a story of a wild man where we ask, is Jesus the ultimate authority? Yes. But the deeper lesson I believe that Mark would show us here is that Jesus is, it's not that Jesus is the ultimate authority, but he comes and he restores a broken relationship between us and God. He came to tame the wild man in me and you. And then we see this woman, this woman who has been carried her whole life a disease. Does Jesus have the authority over sickness? Yes. But it's deeper than just authority over sickness. Because yes, he has authority over sickness, but the value in us seeing the authority over sickness is that Jesus restores value and purpose. See, he allowed this woman to go back and worship he heals the brokenness in you. And finally, we come to this story of a little girl who is sick and dies. Does Jesus have authority over death? Yes. But Jesus alone has the power of life. And he can speak into dead places, even the dead places in you. There's a familiar text we love to quote, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? As I say it, you're already quoting this in your head, right? For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper, or for welfare, plans for a future and hope. You see, Jesus in this story restores Jairus' future. He restores his hope. In the midst of all lost, here Jesus restores back to Jairus. You see, Jesus is our future and our hope.
And so in these lifelike parables that we begin to see, that Mark begins to unpack for us, the big picture of what we see is this story of faith. And it's made evident with a woman who comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, because of your faith, you're made whole. Because of the faith that's in you. When the storm comes across the boat and the disciples are distraught, he says, why do you have such little faith? And so we see this story unpacking of faith. And so this morning I want to talk a bit about what is faith. What is faith? And if you're taking notes, I'll try. I'm usually not good with helping you take notes. I'm going to try this morning, all right? <laughs> I just get up here and I get going. I'm so excited about all of what I want to share. I'm excited about the fire hose that I have ready for you. Um, <laughs> that, that it's, I just keep going. But if, if you're writing, write this down. And this comes from Hebrews eleven six. But faith is the fundamental element of Christian life. Think about that. Faith is the fundamental element of, Jesus, of, of Christian life. And this is why Jesus would spend the time to talk about faith early on in his ministry. This is why Mark would take the time to capture these stories of what is faith. Amen. Because faith is the elemental element of your Christian life. Hebrews eleven six would put it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Amen. It can't be done. It's impossible. For he who comes to God must believe him that he is and that he is rewarder of those who seek them. And so I think the natural question out of Hebrews eleven six, maybe you don't ask this question, but I can hear it this morning is, why do I want to please God? Right? I mean, why do I want to please God? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, I just, I just want to live. I just want to please myself. I, okay, pleasing God, I, I don't know. I mean, God's, God doesn't need me to be pleased, right? You're right. <laughs> but why do we want to please God? You know, if you, do a, if you do a search through your Bible, you're going to see a lot of things about pleasing the Lord. I encourage you, it, this week, do it. Do a search through your Bible about pleasing the Lord, about God's pleasure. What does God take pleasure in? What does God take delight in? How do we please the Lord? And I'm going to read a few of these for you. Psalm 69, verse 30. It says, I will praise the name of God with song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving, and it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. Psalms 147. He does not delight in the strength of horses. He does not take pleasure in the legs of man. The Lord's favor is on those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. Psalms 149.4 says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. And Romans 8.8 says this, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, our greatest pursuit in life should be to seek the pleasure of God. And we cannot do this apart from faith. Our greatest joy can only be found in the pleasure of God. Everything you've ever wanted or you've ever desired, the thing you long for the most is found in the pleasure of God. Yeah. We probably don't hear that often in church, do we? I mean, think about it. How often do you hear someone talking about the pleasure of God? 
Think of your favorite pastor. Pastor John, I think he hits this pretty regularly. But outside of your favorite pastor, Pastor John, who else, right? <laughs> I'm working on some brownie points this morning. So y'all got to gotta help me. <laughs> uh, I mean, but think about it. The gospel story is that Jesus is the hero. And a lot of preachers will preach this morning and try to convince you that you're the hero in the story. They'll try to convince you that the gospel's about you. They'll try to convince you that if you just have the right faith, you can win. They'll try to convince you that you're okay. You just need a little help. That you're good enough. You're, you're, you're there. You just need a little tweaking. But the gospel story is Jesus is the hero. He's the sinner. For me growing up in church, um, I like to think I was kind of this quintessential poster child, right? Um, I, I, in Sunday school, I memorized everything. I half the time knew the story better than the teacher teaching. You know, I was, uh, everything I did, I tried to excel. I was one of those personalities where whatever it is, I want to win, right? Whatever it is, I want to win. And I want to be the first, right? It wasn't enough just to do it. I had to do it the best and be the first and, and be there. And so um, other than my mouth, I usually was pretty good with the teacher. You know, they liked me. <laughs> and somehow in the midst of growing up, I began to take on this narrative of the gospel was this kind of if-then scenario that if I did X, Y, Z, God would do X, Y, Z. And if, if I accomplished this or if I prayed this, then God would do that. You know, if, if I just prayed hard enough or if I just had enough faith or, or if I, I just would do the right thing, if I lived right, then, then God would do this. And somehow that got into my idea of what the gospel was but the only problem with that is at some point you run to the wall where that's not true. Where you've done everything you can do and God is silent. Or you've put it all on the line and you find yourself alone. But I remember when I was 18 years old, the gospel came alive. And I began to see that this wasn't about what I did for God. This isn't about what I could bring to God. It was about what Jesus had already done. And so we see in this story, in verse 22, then came one of the rulers to the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. You know, I, I, I thought about this morning titling my sermon, um, Faith, Don't Stop Believing. But I figured you'd be sitting there the whole time thinking of the journey song. So I didn't want to put that in your head. <laughs> but this morning, I do want to talk about what faith is. And in this story, we see Jairus comes and before the feet of Jesus, he lays what is most precious and what is most valuable to him. You see, faith is taking what is most dear to you and setting it at the feet of Jesus. That's it. 
Well, how can this be? Well, let's look through the Bible. I'm glad you guys are great with questions this morning, so thank you. When we look back throughout story after story after story in the Bible, we see this. What, did Ab- what was Abraham asked to do? He was asked to take what was most precious to him, what he had waited a hundred and years for, and lay it before the Lord to raise the knife. And the Bible says that he believed that God could still raise him from the dead. And then we have the story of Jacob and his dream. Here Jacob is trying to go after what's most valuable to him and finally lets it at the feet of Jesus. He says, I've been striving my whole life to get something and here I am at the feet of Jesus and I need a blessing. The three Israelites, everything had been stripped from them. Everything had been taken from them. And here they stand before the king and he says, bow. And he says, I'm not going to put my hands in your life, O king, because my hands is in the life of the living king, the God. And if you take my life, it doesn't matter because he can, he holds it. And if I die today, it's okay because I'll be with him. And here David is, this little runny kid who gets caught early on into the to a, with a calling to be king. And is on the run for his life and finally he lays it at the feet of God and says, okay, it's yours. And then we have the story in the New Testament where Jesus is met by the rich young ruler and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, great, glad, good question. I'm glad you asked that. You know what you do? Take what's most precious to you and lay it down. You know, the Bible says he said he walked away sorely because He was very wealthy. You see, his money had become what was most valuable to him. The woman with the issue of blood, here it is. What was most valuable for her was her health. And here she comes and she lays it. If I can touch him, he can make me whole. And the greatest example of this is our Heavenly Father who takes what's most valuable to him. And he puts it on a cross to redeem us. You see, when we take what is most dear to us and we set it before him, we follow the example of God. And this pleases him. You see, it wasn't easy for Jarius. And it's not going to be easy for you. Here Jarius is, he's the leader of the synagogue. And I can imagine in the back of his head, he's thinking, if I go, everybody's going to hate me. I mean, it's not like where he worked was the most beautiful place to Jesus, right? I mean, it was beautiful to Jesus, but they weren't as friendly to Jesus. I mean, in fact, they opposed Jesus openly. And here's the ruler, the leader of the synagogue. If he goes... Everybody else is going to hate him. In fact, it could cost him. It could cost him his job. It could cost him his title. It could cost him his position. Some of you have been here. And you've had the moment where God takes you to your greatest moment of desperation. And in your greatest moment of desperation, when you finally hit rock bottom, when there's nothing else that that he can take from you, you stand there and you finally surrender. And here's Jarius going, what else can you take from me? 
And he takes what's most precious to him and he comes to Jesus and he says, I I don't have hope in the Sanhedrin. I don't have hope in my friends. I don't have hope in these other things. I I only have hope in you, Jesus. And he begins to lay the life of his daughter at the feet of Jesus. And it says that. It says that he came and seeing him fell at his feet. And he implored him earnestly, my little daughter, my little daughter. What is your greatest desire today? What is the thing that you hold most dear? Have you laid it at the feet of Jesus? You see, faith is taking what is most dear to us and setting it at the feet of Jesus. Again, in verse 35, as we move along, it says, while he was still speaking, There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. You see, faith is not only taking what's most dear to you and setting at the feet of Jesus. Faith is listening to the voice of victory of your life. How beautiful it is to watch Jesus deal with Jairus. And lead him into joyful victory. Now we know the end of the story, right? Jesus speaks and the girl gets up. She's healed. Such a beautiful picture of seeing Jesus lead Jairus to his, the point of victory. Faith is listening to the voice of victory speak over your life. And that voice is not some repeated mantra on a CD. That voice is not found on your TV. That voice will be heard in the depths of your heart, in the depths of your soul, as Jesus speaks life into you. And at the moment when he would lose hope, Jesus speaks And through the power of his voice, he gives the faith that it's needed to finish its course. The Bible says that the people at Jairus' house came to him and said, your daughter, she's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus overhearing that voice, what does he say? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He speaks to Jairus and says, don't fear, only believe. You see, what God requires, he also gives. This is a constant theme throughout the Bible. What God requires, God gives. What God required for the little girl to get up was faith. And what Jairus needed was faith. And when the voice of Jesus, he speaks faith into Jairus. And Jairus has the faith to believe What's in your life that you don't have the faith for today? What's in your life that your faith is little on? You see, the constant thing is everyone in these stories, and every one of these stories is that the power of Jesus is evident through his spoken word. 
There's a song that I love. It's uh, Shane and Shane, guys. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. It, it's Though You Slay Me. If you've ever heard that. And there's um, a little sermon jam that somebody put together. It's Shane and Shane, and it's John Piper teaching. And in this, John Piper says that sometimes we have to preach the gospel till ourselves till we believe it. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves until we believe it. Why? Because it's the word of God that will be your victory song. It's the word of God that will create faith in you. It's the word of God that will take you through to accomplish what God has said in front of you. You see, Jairus could only believe in one voice. There's the voice of those that says, your daughter's dead. And there's the voice of Jesus that says, only believe. Only believe. This morning, which voice are you listening to? Which voice are you hearing the loudest? You see, the evidence of God is not simply a display of proof of his, of his existence. Have you found it, like, if you, if you talk to some people sometimes about, you try to present the gospel, they want to, they, they want to tell you to prove it, prove that God exists? You see, the evidence of God is not simply a display of his proof. The revelation of God through Jesus Christ is an invitation to know. This isn't just so you see God and go, oh yeah, there's a God. <laughs> Hi, God. God doesn't reveal himself so you look and go, oh, look, isn't that pretty, God? Yeah, hi. The revelation of God exists so that you can know him. The revelation of God exists so that we can walk in relationship with him. The revelation of God exists so that we can be partners in his work. And faith is what creates this awakening and this desire to move beyond what we know and understand and walk into a new reality. I mean, the reality was the guy's daughter's dead. But that wasn't the reality, was it? <laughs> There's a time when you look at this earth and when you look at your circumstances, when you look at your bank account, and when you look at what's going on in your life and you go, oh, well, yeah, that's dead. Oh, that's dead. You ever been that moment with, with your bank account? No, okay. I, I had one of those moments. Um, I remember when I was in college. Um, I, was a, I was dirt poor in college. <laughs> I, I remember I went to the ATM. Maybe you've done this before. And you check your balance, right? Anybody ever done that? You go to the ATM, you check your balance, you're like, I got $30. Okay. <laughs> we can get $25 worth of food. All right. Because if I go beyond that $5, then I got to pay a fee, right? Anybody with me? <laughs> and then I go negative. So here I am, like, I got $25, I'm going shopping. Right? I go and I go shopping, and the next thing I know, I get a not enough funds notice. Yeah, that was a reality. You know, the problem is I didn't remember that check that went out the other day before. Hadn't cleared yet, right? And so what I thought I have, I didn't have. You see, faith is seeing our weakness in the light of his strength and letting go of our weakness to take hold of his strength. Faith is seeing our sin in the light of his holiness 
and letting go. You see, there's a new reality that Jesus wants us to walk into. There's a new light that he set in front of us. There's a new pathway. This isn't just a story to show us that Jesus has the authority over death. This is an invitation, folks. This is an invitation to let go of the dead things, to let go of what is dead and to step into what is alive. Amen? Do not be afraid, but go on believing. Don't stop believing. Jesus would tell him, don't stop believing. You know, the literal interpretation of this is do not be afraid. Go on believing. It's, it's as if Jesus was saying to Jairus, you had a certain amount of faith when you started. There was a certain amount of faith which you had when you came to me. And then you saw this woman be healed of her disease. See, you came to me asking me to heal your daughter of her disease. You saw this woman healed of her disease. And then your faith has grown. Catch this. Jesus says, you came with some faith. Your faith just grew because you saw this woman's story. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't stop believing. Yeah, I know what your friend said. Jesus heard him. I know what your bank account looks like. Don't stop believing. You see, Jesus extends to Jairus an invitation. And this invitation is to step into the words of Jesus or to step into the words of others. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Zephaniah 3, 17. I'm going to read this for you so that it can become your favorite verse. Zephaniah, anybody, most people don't even know where Zephaniah is, right? It's really back at the end of the Old Testament. Not quite the end, but it's close. There's not many chapters there, so if you're flipping through, you probably won't even see it as you flip through. But this is what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. Your God is present among you. Praise God, amen? Your God is present among you. A strong warrior there to save you. Happy to have your back. He'll calm you with his love. Catch this. And delight you with his songs. Do you know that he sings over you? Do you know that the Lord sings over you? Any of you, if you've been a mother, you've experienced this. When you take that little child and you hold, her, hold him or her in your arms, what do you do? You sing over him, don't you? You sing. And here picture this story is that Jesus, that God, our Heavenly Father, is singing over you. He's singing over us the song of victory. This morning, do you hear the song of victory? Do you hear him singing over you? Faith is taking what's most valuable to you and setting at the feet of Jesus. That's number one, if you missed it. Sorry, repeating it so you catch it if you missed it. Number two is that faith is listening to the song of victory. And so I want to talk a little bit about what faith is not. Faith is not a way to manipulate God. Now, I'm a, it's unfortunate that there's someone who will stand in a pulpit this morning and say that. But faith is not a way to manipulate God. It's not a way to get what you need out of God. 
Faith is not a way to get the answer to your prayer that you need. Faith is what gets you in line with what God is doing. And so it takes your mind off of what you need to answer your prayer to see what God has already put in motion to answer your need. You see, faith is not a handle on a lottery machine. You don't put your nickel in, your nickel of faith in, pull the one-armed bandit and wait for the sevens to line up. Right? This is not what faith is. There is no if-then with God when it comes to faith. You know, I read this this week, this um, quote somebody put out. This, it was a religious leader. And sometimes these people put out some things that just... And, and you ever do that? You read something and it just kind of gives you crawlies up your back, right? Pastor John, I know he goes through that every day. And the thing was, is there was a lot of people who liked this. They were like, oh, yeah. And a lot of times, the enemy comes disguised as light, and he will say something that sounds good, but it's counter to the gospel. Now, can you hear this? Listen, sometimes the best thing you can do is not think, not worry, and not obsessed. Just have faith that everything will work out for the best. Now, hopefully your skin crawled when you heard that. Mine did. Now, we could spend a whole sermon on that, dismantling that and rebuilding it to its proper state. But I don't want to do that. I'm going to give you a simple tidbit on helping you with discernment. If anybody preaches, if anybody says they're speaking on behalf of God, and their intent is to make you the hero of the story, they're a false teacher. If they preach and Jesus is not the hero, then they're a false teacher. If you're listening to someone and they're not preaching that Jesus is the hero, turn it off. It's a simple way to discern truth right there. You see, that statement sounds more like Eeyore than Jesus. You know, Eeyore would say the nicest thing about rain is it stops. Right? I mean, just your problems will end sometime. You see, the problem with this statement is that you determine your outcome. The problem with this statement is that it puts the burden on you. Sometimes the best thing you can do is blank, 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 blank. And if you just have faith, blank, 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 blank. You see, the constant theme of the Bible is that God put your burden on Christ. People would try to tell you, oh, just, you, just, you just need to put your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And they'll try to put faith in that to make it sound good. If you just, just have a little faith and, and get up and start walking. No, sometimes you can't walk. Sometimes you're the paralytic and they have to tear the roof back and drop you at the feet of Jesus before you can get healed. Sometimes you sit by the pool of Bethesda when nobody cares about you and you can't get to the water fast enough when it's stirred and Jesus walks by and your only hope is right there. You see, the problem with the statement is that God does not put the burden on you. He put your burden on Jesus. Faith is not what you produce. Nothing you have or you will ever have, or can have, will ever please God. 
I know when I make that statement, people don't like it. But I didn't make that. Paul made this statement. So be mad at him. Because the only thing which comes from God will please God. You see, whatever you have or whatever you hold or whatever you can possibly hold will never please God. Because as we read earlier in Romans 8, 8, flesh cannot please God. The only thing that can please God is his son. What comes from God goes back to God and that pleases God. You see, that's what our worship is. Our worship is returning back to God what is his. We stand here and we worship God because he is who he said he is. And we return it back to him and we sing those songs back to him. We worship him. We, we let our voices rise to him so that he may hear it because we can only give what comes from him. Because that's the only thing that is acceptable in his sight. It's not the blood of bulls. It's not your blood that spilled that appeases the wrath of God. It was only the blood of Jesus. All right. We're going to move on a little bit here. <laughs> in verse 37, it says this, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, the, and when he had entered he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them out. You see, faith is taking what's most valuable to you and setting it at the feet of Jesus. Faith is listening to that song of victory that Jesus, that God sings over you. And there's nothing you can bring to God that will satisfy God that's of you. But your fear or disbelief will shut out that gift of grace which Jesus longs to produce in you. Catch that in the story. In this story, what happened? The people who have no faith, God, Jesus says, get out. Get out. He spoke the same words over the crowd that he spoke to Jairus. Jairus had faith, and that faith grew in him. The crowd had no faith, and Jesus kicked him out. Now, the beauty of the New Testament to me is I love when it parallels the Old Testament. Anybody ever you have those moments that just, you just love them? You see, in Psalms 51, Psalmist writes this, For you do not delight in sacrifices, other, I, otherwise I would give them. And you do not be, you're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. But the Bible lets, it very, lets us know very much that if we become before him without faith, he casts us out. But there's a beautiful picture here. Surround yourself with people of faith. Amen. This is why the body of Christ is so important. This is why not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together is important. This is why your table should be an altar. This is why you should open up your home and invite people in so you can sit down and break bed and your faith can grow together. 
This is why it's important that you show up, not so you can hear me or we can worship together or you can give your tithe. No, this, this is about us being pulled together so our faith can grow. Amen. And that faith will grow solid in Jesus Christ. This is why you need to be under Bible teaching. This is why you need to listen to people who will preach the word of God, not just preach what sounds good. You see, those around Jairus had no faith. Jairus was surrounded by people of no faith. Jesus goes to, I mean, Jairus goes to see Jesus. He's got a little bit of faith. He's holding on. He's barely, he's desperate. And then the word from the people around Jairus comes back and says, oh, well, don't bother the teacher anymore. Do you hear what they called him? Teacher. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a teacher? Because to them, he was just a teacher. And you know what? The teacher can't raise the dead. A teacher can't perform miracles. But the Son of God can. And so here Jesus, Jairus is surrounded by people of no faith. He even goes back to his house. And what is his house full of? Unbelief. You see, life is full of people who appear genuine, but they're just putting on a show. You see, in this story, as we go into Jerry's house, who's there? The mourners, the professional mourners and the whalers. You see, their job was to use every known method for displaying a strong emotion or grief. When I read that, I can't help but visualize some things I see on TV with church. You know what I mean, Pastor John? Where you look and um, the lady with more makeup than Walmart, she starts crying so that you see all that makeup run, right? So she just want to look ugly in the cameras. Lord help us why that happens, I don't know. But put all that makeup on to, to put on this fake facade of emotion. You see, a lot of people will use, will come in false names and their job is simply to make strong emotion, to make you think that they're godly. They create a false excitement. They create a false narrative upon which you're supposed to now find hope. The church is full of those. The pulpits are full of those. But this morning, I hope you didn't come to hear me. I hope you came to get a word from the Lord. You see, it was a common practice in those days among the Gentiles that when someone died, you would come and you would sing and you would make noise and you would play instruments and you would put on a commotion to soothe the parting spirit. Isn't it strange how the church will often employ methods of the world in an attempt to appear godly? And here in Jairus' house, the leader of the synagogue, this wasn't in the tax collector's house. This was in the man who should know better. It was in his house that the commotion is being stirred. It was in his house. This morning, is your house in order? It begs us to ask, is our house in order? Are we just 
have an appearance of godliness or is there substance to it? Uh, do we just appear to be godly? Do we just put on enough show that we put across a good image to our children or to other people? Or is there substance to who we are in Christ? Is there substance to our prayer? Is there substance to the why we read the word? Amos 5, this is a paraphrase, but I want to read it in the paraphrase because I want you to kind of catch a little bit of the nuance of it. Amos 5, it says this, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. And then it poses this question, when was the last time you sang to me? You see, it's easy to get caught up in the show, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, come on. When was the last time you sang to God? You see, the message of her death had produced despair. For he had asked nothing more than from Christ to come heal his sick daughter. Christ then commands him to take care or by fear or distrust, he would shut out that grace to which death must obey. By Jesus' words, only believe. He means that he will produce every answer provided Jairus will allow him. Jesus exhorts him to enlarge his heart with confidence because there's no room to fear that his faith would be connected with the endless power of God. Surely this is the case with us. For God would be much more evident in his communications to us if we were not so closed, so hindered by our passions and stopping him from pouring out his gifts in great abundance. Brooke, if you'll come on up. We can't stop what God wants to do in us. Faith doesn't become this tool that opens the door, but it can be what shuts the door, the lack of it, the doubt. But notice this as kind of wrap this up. Who did Jesus not kick out? You see, Jairus was surrounded by people of faith, and it was Jesus who then called his disciples and said, come along. Jairus needs people of faith around him. Jesus didn't need the disciples around him for his faith. Jesus didn't need them. Jairus needed them. And so Jesus supplies what Jairus needs. To the man who has little faith, Jesus says, here's a brother with faith. Here's a brother with faith to believe. I've sent him to you. Will you walk with him? And to you who has much faith, I've put you over here next to Jairus. Will you walk with him? But notice who Jesus does not kick out of this room. 
There's very little mention of her other than Jesus says, come mother. Hey mama. Come on mama. And this is the perfect note to end this on, I think. And it's funny, I was talking with Pastor John. I'm gonna give you credit for this, Pastor John. Talking with him last night and he shared this nugget with me and it's so beautiful. I'm gonna share it with you. I think we are supposed to kind of put ourselves in the story a little bit. Not as the hero who saves the day, but as Jarius whose faith is struggling. Come on, the man was here and his daughter's dead. What else do you need to hear to make your faith struggle? But here's this mama sitting at home, holding her baby who's sick. She looks at her husband and says, you're going to see Jesus. And he's like, but baby, the guys at work, they're going to make fun of me. You're going to see Jesus. But, but baby, they're, they're not going to understand. These other people aren't going to stand that. I'm a, they, they hate Jesus. Do you know that they hate Jesus? You are going to go see Jesus. And I can hear her telling her, man, you're going to see Jesus. And some of you women, you've been sitting in here, you've been telling your husbands, you're going to go see Jesus because he's our only hope. Your buddies at work, they're not here healing her. So she's sitting at home holding that baby. She sent her husband, you're going to get Jesus and you're going to bring him here because Jesus is going to raise our daughter. He's going to heal her. And she's sitting back in the room. She's holding that baby. As that baby takes her last breath, she's holding her. She's holding that daughter. She's holding on. But she's not just holding on to that little girl. She's holding on to hope. Catch this. She's holding on to hope. The story is Jesus didn't kick her out. He kicked out everybody else. Some of you, this is your story. You're sitting there. You're holding on to what's dead in your life, but you haven't lost hope. Don't stop believing now. (laughs) You've come too far. You've come too far. Don't stop believing now. Jesus is not done. Jesus is on the way. Mama, that daughter, that son you've been praying for, don't stop. That brother, that sister, that aunt, that uncle, that mom, that dad, don't stop believing. Because the story is that Jesus has the power to speak to that which is dead and bring forth life in the most dead places. So today, if that's your story, if you're sitting there and you're that mama, you're holding on to something that's dead in your life that you know Jesus has promised you, stand up. Come on, stand up. That's you. You're holding on. You're holding on. You have not given up. Maybe you're sitting here and you're Jarius and you're like, man, my faith is just little. I said, come on, my faith is little. Come on, who else? This is your story this morning. There's a word for you this morning. Come on.
Some people are still standing. Come on, I want to give you time because I'm going to ask you brothers and sisters a little bit to be the disciples that come around you. Come on, if that's you this morning, stand up. Amen. All right, you that have faith, come on. You know what to do. You with faith, come on. (laughs) You with faith, stand. Surround your brothers and sisters. Begin to pray, begin to pray. Come on, church, begin to pray. Believers, pray. Let them hear you speak life. Let them hear you speak the word over them. talking. I said, the scripture doesn't tell us what she did, but I don't know any true mama that that baby wouldn't have died in her arms. I mean, you're right there. When Jesus walked in and put everybody out, he looked at her and goes, you still believe. Watch. You watched her die and you still believe. She's cold in your arms and you still believe? I told my husband, don't come back without him. I've had both sides of the coin happen in my life. I've had the little girl wake up. And I've seemingly been unanswered 
But let me tell you what I found out the older I get. Nothing eternal has been lost. Nothing eternal. This is my final thoughts to you. In the resurrection, the resurrection answers everything. There is not a question in your heart. There is not a disappointment, a disillusionment, a discouragement. The resurrection will answer every question. For the poor will be made rich. Those that are cast out will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. The sick will be made well. Those that have been departed from us in Christ are going to be joined together. Hopelessness will give way to eternal hope. And there shall be no more sorrow. And there shall be no more crying. Because Jesus will declare the former things have passed away. And a pulse of glory is going to come out from him. And he said, I declare everything new. And from that moment on, sorrow will never be witnessed by you again. Believe, man. Well, Brother John, you can't dismiss without answering this question. So there's a chance that I might believe and it not work out the way I want? Yes. But there is zero chance that if you believe, God will fail you. And to that person, to that person that buried the daughter, that doesn't mean the other daughters don't live. Some of us are walking around with our miracles right now. We are not defined by unanswered prayer. We are defined with the invitation of God to pray because he hears his children. Amen. Father, we love you. We celebrate you. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Wade today. He didn't bring us a sermon. He brought us a word from you. And Lord, we, some of us, we know too much about you to doubt you. We've walked too long, too, too far. And we have seen miracles with our eyes. We're not the hero of the story, but we're the object of your affection. And I just thank you, Lord, that I can, I can hold on to anything. And I'm not bearing, Lord, I declare for that person that's at the tipping point. I declare we're not bearing anything that you don't pronounce dead. We believe. And if we believe, we will see the glory of God. Keep us, Lord. Preserve us unto your glorious appearing. Bless Al and Laura today when they watch this online and let them know that we're with them. And this ministry that my brother struggled with thinking was dead and gone. You've raised that little girl up and she's hungry now. It's time to feed her. We love you, Lord. We long for your appearing. Our house is in order. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Have a wonderful Lord's Day today, guys. God bless you. Be dismissed in the presence of the Lord.